when I would go see, my, I'd go visit my parents. Even now, like my mom would give me cash. <laughs> And like the roles like didn't change. And so, you know, I go to the ATM. I'm the generation. I go to the ATM. You get the $20 bills. And, and my mom, you know, she's of the generation where they go in the bank. So I would see her at games and she would give me like four or $500 in cash. And, uh, and so it was really cool. And I, you know, so I never have money or cash when I'm with my parents because they always pick up the tech, up the tech, up the tech. So at, and I'm not going to tell his business, but at 40 plus years of age, Grant Hill, a former professional basketball player, at one time, I believe, the face of NCAA basketball when he was at Duke. Um, His parents, mother more specifically, every now and again just slides him some money. Here you go, baby, in case you need it. (laughs) Let's be clear, he doesn't need it, but that says a lot about how he was raised. He is our guest on Naked. Stick around. You don't want to miss it. Coming back after this commercial break. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity For yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
carry champions to be a champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion greatest greatest in sports and entertainment connected with in a world we're vulnerable considered weak come and remove the veil from entertainment's elite it's the difference between what is real and what the public sees so here's your favorite celebrities behind the scenes it's refreshing authentic the whole story specific life altering events to shape the person that you hear we got a champion and carry champion hey girl you did it it's the greatest in sports and entertainment connected with us. every champion and carry champions to be a champion a champion and carry champion hey girl you did it got a champion and carry champion and carry so we have Grant Henry Hill on Naked today. Uh, lots to talk about with Grant Hill. He is, many of you may know him from his days at Duke. He won two NCAA chips there. Uh, he played for almost 20 years in the NBA. I think just shy of that 19. Great, great guy. You know, let me keep it a buck. The the tagline on Grant is, if you want a good man, that's the man every woman should want if they have to date a professional athlete because he's just a good guy. He comes from good stock. He truly, I remember watching him as a kid growing up. He was considered, you know, the American dream. If there was a Ken and Barbie, he would be Ken, the black Ken, if you will. But that's a compliment. We get into that on the podcast today. But before uh, I introduce you to Grant Hill in that way, in that naked way, I want to talk about Deshaun Watson and um, what is going on in the NFL, if you will. Deshaun Watson has been accused of sexually harassing, I want to say just for the record, 24 women. Those are 24 women who have filed a lawsuit against him. There allegedly are far more. He has settled the lawsuit, the civil suit, with all except for one. A grand jury has decided not to file criminal charges against him. Two grand juries. They felt like there wasn't enough evidence. And then, as a result, once it was known to the NFL that he would not be facing criminal charges, the bidding wars for Deshaun Watson began. You may remember early on, he signed a $230 million deal with the Cleveland Browns, fully guaranteed. There were a lot of cushions in this deal. For him, for instance, if in fact uh, the NFL decided to suspend him, he wouldn't lose that much money. Meaning if they decided to suspend him for his behavior outside of the NFL, which is obviously the sexual harassment cases that have been brought against him, that he would not lose that much money. Uh, it was also written in his new contract with the Cleveland Browns is that he would have to go with massage therapists that only the team recommended. So those of you who don't know who Deshaun Watson is, it has now been discovered that over a few years, he contacted over 60 women, if not more, and asked them to massage him. Uh, he is an athlete. He needs to recover. And he asked for massages. These are for people who don't know the case. And it turns out that he was reaching out to these women over DMs. And when he got into the massage room, the women allege, many women allege that it was more than just a massage. He wanted Sometimes in some cases, a happy ending. Uh, he would show up with just a, a towel over his genitals and nothing else. And he used his leverage as an NFL quarterback to make these ladies feel uncomfortable. It all came to head when a woman by the name of Ashley Solis, back in Houston when he played for the Texans, shared her story. And her story seemed really convincing and she did not say anything until uh, maybe a few months, if not a year later. 
And so for a long time, because he has been dealing with this since 2020, for a very long time, it is now 22, 2022, we couldn't really determine what was going on with Deshaun. Uh, some of the women were questionable, at least we thought they were. And I hate even saying that because as soon as a woman accuses a man of sexual harassment or any type of sexual assault, you you check her character first and not his. And so for a long time, the media didn't really know how to cover this story. And it laid and laid until these bombshell uh, reports started to come out, specifically from the New York Times, showing that he had a pattern uh, of contacting women in DMs and exchanging messages with them that many people saw and read that were very inappropriate, at the very least predatory, at the very most sexually harassing. them. You don't want to be in any one of those categories. But when the criminal charges weren't filed, NFL was like, come on, my brother, come play. Um, and we know what that is. We've seen it over the years. Talent trumps all. How many stories have we seen, whether it be an NFL player, an NBA player, uh, a journalist, a broadcast journalist, a, a famous personality, an actor, anyone harassing a woman, Harvey Weinstein, for that matter. He had been doing it for years before they brought him down, decades, if you will. And you, one, first check the woman's character, two, ignore the story, three, make the woman's life miserable, four, and this is just as of late, there is some sort of justice. So this week, Deshaun Watson found out what his actual punishment would be from the NFL. And that was a suspension of six games. And many people thought that was a slap in the face. It came from a neutral arbiter who said, OK, his actions were egregious. It's really inappropriate. He misses six games. The NFL comes back and says, actually, we're going to appeal that sentence. It seems too light. We're going to see if we can take him away for the rest of the season. I say all that to say is that it's so convoluted and it's so messy. And if many of you have been following this, it is a case of a quarterback. And it just so happens to be black, who is extremely talented, who did some things that were too familiar, too, too consistent and quite frankly, too suspicious for us to ignore it anymore. I do believe Deshaun's behavior was completely inappropriate. And I'm going to write about it on my I said what I said dot com blog and I'll post that for you all. But Deshaun's behavior was inappropriate. And if I'm speaking in full candor with you guys, I remember when it first happened to him, I didn't believe it. I reached out. I said, you're doing OK? Because we had a friendly relationship over DMs because that's his thing. He DMs. He said, if you could call in, help me and give me some advice, I'd like I'd like your advice. Now, I remember calling Jamel saying, I don't know. Let me watch this play out. I just am not ready to offer him any advice yet because I don't know what I don't know. You can't give advice when you don't know all the facts. And right now, I think we have just about all the facts. The fact is, is that he contacted over 60 women, if not more, that we know of and asked them to massage him. He is an invaluable commodity for the NFL. And you're contacting women with no real discrimination, meaning like just anybody. Hey, I heard you had a business, a black business. I want to support it. Hey, I heard you had a business. I want to support it. Give me a massage today at four. I'm sorry. That is not how I believe most professional athletes go about getting massages. They ask for recommendations. They look for good people. And yes, some of them, I mean, let's let's keep it a buck. They look for hot chicks to massage them because they like it. And maybe it's more than what it turns out to be. But you cannot... In this day and age, reach out to women without discrimination, meaning, okay, there's Susie, there's there's Tanya, there's 
Tamia, that's a horrible name, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Grant, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> there's Michelle, there's Michael, there's whomever. You can't do that. It just doesn't make sense. I'm nowhere near as famous and I'm nowhere near as worth as what he is worth. And I just don't allow different people in my aura because I know that it can get complicated. I don't move certain ways because I know that it can get complicated. I don't have the same access that other women would have. I know that. I'm aware of that. I can't just be running up and down the street at work, behaving any old kind of way when I get off work because I know there are consequences that could possibly follow if I continue to have reckless behavior. And that is, at the very least, what he had, which was reckless behavior, which seemed predatory. It seemed like he went after certain women. He didn't care as long as you were a massage therapist and you were kind of cute or cute or whatever was attractive to him. And can you massage me today? Now, if you read on the case, I'm giving you a summary. There's so much more involved to it. But what I do know is that it's disappointing that this football player who at one time was touted as the Michael Jordan of football. His Clemson college coach said that. Dabo Sweeney, he was like, he's a Michael, he's a Michael Jordan of, uh, of football. He can make it happen. And he is a great player. And you know why he's a great player? Because the bidding war said, I don't care how many women you've assaulted. Can you come play and throw this ball for my football team? When the suspension was handed down, you could hear people at the Cleveland Browns training camp saying, we root for you at training camp, the fans who come and watch. We got your back, Deshaun. We don't believe them. We got your back. I mean, he's loved. He's a loved man. And I understand that because these are heroes. These, these athletes are heroes. No matter how you slice it, it's just that way. But it's disappointing that the, the consistent message is it doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. Ben Roethlisberger, accused of attempted rape, retired, famous Steelers quarterback, six games. Ray Rice punched his wife in an elevator on camera. We saw it all. The end result was six games. The only reason why that was overturned and his career ended was because it was on camera and people made a fuss. If you are talented, it really does, and I hate to say this name, trumps all. Talent will solve all problems. If you can get us a win and help us make money, that is the bottom line. And it's hard for me to talk about this guy because I considered him a good guy. I rooted for him. Young black kid coming up in the league, super talented, still probably is very talented. If he's able to push through all of this and come back, we need to give him a second chance. But right now, his behavior is unacceptable and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that he can't admit that this is a problem and I know why he won't admit it. But it's more unfortunate because it's just another indictment on women and when we try to tell the truth. And more specifically, those who are listening to my podcast right now who are men, y'all gonna have real issues with me talking about this. Y'all will tell me I'm wrong. Y'all will tell me it's not right to bring down a brother. Y'all will remind me of what I said about Floyd Mayweather and say, I'm always trying to take the black man down. And I will simply say to this, what about the black woman? What about your black mother, your sister, your wife, your friend, your aunt, your cousin? What about women, period? Hmm. Heavy days, which is why this is to be continued. 
We'll put a pin in the Deshaun Watson conversation. We'll see what happens. I'll update you next week. But now it's time to get naked. To get naked. That was your news and notes, right? I gave you your news and your notes. I gave you some updates and I gave you my notes. Now it's time for Grant Hill. So I'd like to begin with the story time. First time I met Grant Hill when I was on this side of the business, uh, obviously Washington was a fan and people say that, but it re- I really truly was. But when I met him, I met him in Atlanta. It was some basketball event. We talk about it on the podcast, but I remember thinking what a nice man and what a and what a pristine reputation. But most importantly, he really is what he is as advertised, right? It's rare that you meet people as advertised, that they are the people they have been living, that image that they live up to. And I talked to him about his play cousin, Jamal Hill. They call each other play cousins. I talked to him about his marriage. I talked to him about his life as an NBA player. He has a book out, which I appreciate, called Game. He's giving out Game. Y'all go ahead and take it. Go ahead and download it. Go ahead and buy it. Get it, support. Go ahead and support it. And then I kind of, I kind of get into some really funny stories. He said three things to me. One of which you heard was about how his parents, he never, ever, ever in his entire career has given his parents any money. He maybe had bought his dad a car, but that was it. In fact, his parents give him money. And I don't know that to be true of any professional athlete. I would love to interview professional athletes and see how many of them say that that's their experience. Because his parents are of the belief that we don't need yours, we have ours. We're accomplished. We have our own. And that speaks to their character and what they what they wanted for him and what they knew he could do. And boy, is that impressive. And I am impressed because most humans are very selfish. Like, gimme, 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 gimme. Instead, his parents are like, no. So I harped on that because that's a thing for me. Obviously, speaking from my trauma in my family, <laughs> not that I am anywhere near close to as the type of income he has. But you know what I mean? The parents would be like, let me hold something. You're like, but what you mean? Can I hold something back? <laughs> Uh, He talked about being uncomfortable, but trying to get comfortable with the fame. And he also talked about nagging injuries that that really, really plagued him throughout pretty much uh, his professional career. And it's a great. But most importantly, he's just a great human. We need to talk about great humans. I do lift my brothers up. So without further ado, Grant Hill, ladies and gentlemen, on Naked. So first and foremost, the, the the podcast is really just me asking people that I'm really huge fans of just questions and things that I don't I don't know. But I always like when I know someone, I do like to begin with a story. And I want to tell you the first time I met you. Do you remember when we first met and sat and talked? Do you remember that? It was a long time ago. Do you remember? Um, I remember seeing you in, in, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that was. I don't know what it finals something. It was something, yeah. some sporting. Yeah. And you sat with me, and I believe it was Rashawn Ali. You just happened to be there, I think, and I was meeting with Rashawn Ali. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I thought to myself, what a lovely gentleman. Like, how kind, how nice. And you you know know the the rap on you, right? What people say about you, which is all the things, right? You're kind, nice, gentleman, always a good guy, somebody you can count on, dependable. Do you ever, for lack of a better term, feel a way about being called a nice guy all the time? <laughs> you know, no. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's not a, I can think of worse things to be called. 
I found it amusing, I think, during my career, um, particularly in Detroit. You know, you got to understand, you're coming off of, at that time, the bad boys. And the bad boys were, you know, hugely successful. Kind of get lost in the conversation during that era. You talk about the Lakers, which I know you're a Laker fan. I grew up a Laker fan. Mm -hmm. Um, The Lakers and Celtics of the 80s. And then, you know, we forget about the Pistons and it goes right to the Bulls and Michael Jordan. But, you know, in Detroit, there was a real sort of pride, understandably so, for, for their accomplishments. And then all of a sudden, this nice guy comes. And I think sometimes people confuse nice with weak. And and um, and so that, you know, I, I won't say it bothered me, but it was it was one of those things where I was like, no, you can still, you know, be competitive. You can still, you know, you, you don't get to the NBA and get to an all star level without having, you know, a little bit of a nasty streak, a little bit of a competitive streak. But we can be nice after we beat you. Like that was sort of the mindset and the attitude. And so, but no, nah, look, I mean, I, I think the most important thing is to be authentic and to be who you are. And I've tried to do that. Haven't always been perfect, but I, I think it, I try to come from a, from an honest place. Which leads me to what I was going to say. There are tons of people who who pretend to be tougher than they really are, right? And then there are those who pretend to be really nice in, in this business that we are in. Um, and they're real... And it is the rare quality where you meet someone uh, where their reputation of being that person matches who they are. And for you, it has been that way in all rooms. And it's not just so much to give you your props, but for me, that's a, I feel like that's an honor and a great feeling because mostly people don't understand who other people are. And, and the perception is usually not true to who the character is. And for you, it matches. And I remember Chuck, Charles Barkley telling this story. You can tell me if it's true or not. But we were at work. It was one of, you know, Chuck's infamous nights where he he holds court in a bar. And uh, <laughs> I think we might have been in Atlanta at the Four Seasons. And he was talking about money. It's when we were doing the show Arena. And it was, um, I believe it was Draymond, Chuck, you know, Tara, everybody, the crew. Yep. And he said, I remember Grant Hill's parents telling me and, you know, I'm, by the way, the location may be wrong, but it was in a bar somewhere. Everybody talking. I do know that. <laughs> it, uh, there might not have been there, but it was somewhere around the world in a bar and Chuck was holding court. And he was like, I remember Grant Hill's parents telling me when you become really rich and you have money and you start to give it to family and friends, it's never enough. You do know that it's never enough. Do you remember him, your parents talking to Chuck about that and money and 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 what happens when you get into this to this very extremely wild business of the NBA and you become multi, multi, multi-millionaires and people can read about all the money you make. Do you remember that? I do. I do remember that. We, it was 1996. Uh, and coincidentally, it was in Atlanta at the Olympics. Okay. <laughs> and we were, we were at the, the Western, Ho- or excuse me, the, yeah, the Western Hotel. No, the Omni Hotel. Excuse me, the Omni Hotel. I should know uh-huh. this. And... Um, it wasn't a bar, but it was in the uh, in the eating area uh, during lunch. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, if it had been later in the night, it probably would have. No, you're correct. <laughs> but it was uh, especially with Chuck. Um, correct. No, I mean, my, my parents would just kind of post up there uh, in the in the cafeteria, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just see family members, see players, and they spent a lot of time with with Charles and. 
it was really kind of cute to see them kind of bonding and particularly my mom with, with Chuck. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, oh, here's my mom, like, you know, come on now, like, you know, you, you're giving advice to Charles Barkley, like, come on, you know, and, and, but it really resonated with him. And I've heard him say that I've heard him say it to other people in my presence, uh, and how it really impacted him. And so, you know, it just makes me realize and appreciate how how fortunate to to have that kind of counsel and to have that support as I tried to navigate, you know, celebrity and fame and money and and all the trappings that come with it. Um, you know, you know, one of the things my mom used to always say uh, since we brought her up was, you know, when I was young, she would say this a lot. And I didn't quite understand it, but she would say, "Don't feel, fa- don't fear failure, fear success, because there's more people who are ruined by it." And, 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 you know, for me, you know, I, I needed to hear that and needed to sort of like understand, first of all, you know, go for it. Don't, don't fear failing. Um, but also understanding what comes with success. And so whether in our industry and television, you know, there's loads of examples of some of which you mentioned, we won't name names. Um, but I I think through it all, just, you know, my parents and sort of my dad and, and his, his career, just tried to be, you know, we came of age or I came of age. I'm a lot older than you, but I came of age during the, the keep it real generation. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I interpreted that like, let me be real. Let me be who I am. Let me be authentic and not try to put on or act a certain way. And, um, and through it all, like, you know, I think I've done that. Like, I think I've tried to stay true to who I am and not be something I'm not and really kind of be proud of it, you know, and, 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 and not, you know, like that's what differentiates you. That's what separates you in a lot of ways is, you know, your authentic self. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I remember Charles saying that and, um, and he talks about it a lot and, you know, look, even now, you know, my, my parents, when, when I'm with them, like they pick up the tap and they, you know, I still, when I would go see, my, I'd go visit my parents, even now, like my mom would give me cash and then, <laughs> And like the roles like didn't change. And so, you know, I go to the ATM, I'm the generation, I go to the ATM, you get the $20 bills and and my mom, you know, she's of the generation where they go in the bank. So she would give me, I would see her at games. We'd play the wizards and, you know, they'd come to games. They live in the DC area and she would give me like four or $500 in cash. And, uh, and so it was really cool. And I, you know, so I never have money or cash when I'm with my parents because they always pick up the tab. Okay, so I got to talk about you for five seconds. <laughs> I've got to talk about you. First of all, that's absolutely adorable. Second of all, that tells me a lot about your parents, which I'm going to get into in a second, because I remember when I would watch you playing in college, I the, the, the storylines would be, you're the next this and who your parents were and how the, the family that you came from. That was always one of the many storylines. Like you were... I don't know. You guys are the Huxtables, you know, right? I mean, like it was the way in which it was portrayed. Um, So for you to say that is really adorable. So I need to know, what have we bought our parents? Because I know you're not taking four and $500 from my homegirl like that all the time. Like you, I know you bought your mama house. Come on now. Don't be, don't act like they just out here giving you money. No, they wouldn't let you buy them. so, so, So my parents, so they moved into this house that, you know, when I was a senior in high school, and they've been in the house 30 plus years. Wow. I did, I did buy, let me see, I bought my dad a car for his. Okay. 
bought him a, a Mercedes in 97 for his 50th. And then I bought my mom. I did buy her a car at one point, an Escalade, I think. But that's it. You know, and so, they, don't I mean, want, I, they don't want anything. Look, they, they're insulted that if I were to pick up the tab or pay for something. And so, you know, they're like, look, we got our own money. We don't need, you know, we don't need your, your handouts. And so, um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that was fascinating about that. Um, this whole conversation is fascinating. I don't know a black parent don't, that don't be like, give me something. Like, this is right. fascinating. Well, I mean, I think I think it speaks to, to you know, look, they're achievers and they've they've had their own successes. And 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 um, and and so certainly I'm mindful of that and they're proud of that. Um, but also, you know, and, and I'm not trying to judge or, or I don't want this to come off the wrong way. But I think the fact that I've never like, you know, took care of them financially and I, and I would I mean, I would if, if I needed to. But I think it's it's allowed for the relationship to be real and to be. They never once have, have bitten their tongue. They never like, you know, had to bite their tongue or hold back or change the role of being a parent. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. And sometimes I, I, mis- I make mistakes. Uh, I, I, heard of. That- I never <laughs> know. Yes, I don't I believe do. it. I don't yes. believe it. <laughs> my, my parents and my wife would tell you, yes, I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> but, you know, they've always like they've been able to be straight shooters with me. And, you know, having people who tell you what you need to hear, I think is so important as we talk about navigating celebrity in life. And they've always done that. And and so I think if they were on the, the quote unquote payroll, that, that might compromise that a bit. That might make it difficult. I'm not trying to say that that's the case for other people, but I just know, you know, money has not changed the dynamics of our relationship. And, um, and that's something I'm grateful for. You are you for those who are listening, he is making a very valid point that you can only understand it if you've seen it. So so in this business, I started out working in terms of when I decided to go strictly into sports, I was working at the tennis channel and I would watch these literally no lie, 17, 18 year old kids who had lots of money and they would control their parents and their trainer and everybody else involved. And the parents couldn't really be themselves. The kids were running the house. They were running the household because they had the money. The dynamic shifts when the person with the money is in control, right? Even in this case. So I do understand what you're saying. And I have seen the yes men and women around said celebrity, said athlete. And you're right. It changes how you all interact. I think, though, that is honorable. Mm -hmm. And and by way of background, your father, he went to Yale, um, correct? He played in the league, NFL, correct? Yep. Now, tell tell us a little bit about the pressure and also about your mom and what she did in her own accomplishments, because I had to be a lot of pressure growing up uh, with these two these two parents who are achievers in their own right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, look, my dad, you know, my, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather had a you know second grade education. And so, you know, for him, he always emphasized you know, the importance of education. And one thing my dad, you know, would always share was that, you know, my, my grandfather bought him some encyclopedias when he was a kid. And um, and, and so anyway, e- education, and, and I think for that generation, I mean, education was obviously, because it was denied to us, sure. um, it was, all, you know, it was definitely emphasized. And then my dad won a scholarship to go to a boarding school, which he didn't want to go to, but his father made him go. 
And I think that really changed, as he would say, the trajectory of his life. And so now he arrives as a ninth grader and all these kids are talking about Ivy League schools. And and so it was an Ivy League sort of prep school, which, you know, he excelled in sports and eventually went on to Yale um, and, and played in the NFL 13 years. And then my mom, you know, she came, grew up in the segregated South, you know, never, never really met or had a conversation with somebody white and then went to, you know, Boston, Massachusetts and went to Wellesley and was one of five black young women uh, at the school. And so that was a bit of a, of a culture shock. But, you know, I think for both of them, you know, being taken out of their comfort zone um, in an education, educational environment and in, in higher education and secondary education, um, I think it really kind of opened their eyes. And, and, you know, my mom went on and she had her own corporate consulting firm um, for, for 30 years on Capitol Hill. And, you know, we, we, we joke, she, she's, uh, she's served on a number of corporate boards like Nextel, uh, Sprint, excuse me, Sprint, Nextel, Wendy's, the Carlisle Group. She went into the National Association of Corporate Directors Hall of Fame. And mm. so she likes to say that, you know, <laughs> that, uh, you know we're not the only ones in, in the Hall of Fame. She's in the Hall of Fame, too. So, you know, she's she's been sort of the star of the family and certainly had a great business career. So growing up, um, there were expectations. Uh, there were also, I think, their example um, and the access uh, and the exposure that they provided was invaluable. But, you know, there was also pressure. And, um, you know, my parents were pretty incredible, not just with my black peers, but with all my peers. Like, you know, I didn't see a lot of my friends black, white, or whatever, who had parents quite like mine. And so um, I, I at times struggled with feeling like trying to live up to, to their success and trying to live up to what they've accomplished. And that was, you know, 12, 13, 14 years of age, you're trying to figure out who you are, you're, you know, you're going through that. You know, middle school is not fun for anyone, I think, when you look back on it. But, you know, there's sort of like, wow, like no matter what I do, you know, they've done it, you know, on a whole nother level. And so I remember I did a science project. I, I don't know. I can't remember science fair or whatever science project. And I remember I was talking to my mom and she was like, yeah, in 1960, whatever she did, a she won the national science fair with her project. And <laughs> I was like, man, like I can't do anything, you know, and, you, here you come with your solar system, which you, always yeah. say, you, got, you got Mars and you got Saturn and, and toothpicks. That'll been something I did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm thinking, I'm just trying to get a B minus. Like she's talking about, you know, she was, you know, the best science project in the, in the country. And so, I mean, so they, they were achievers, but, you know, they always tried to empower me. They always tried to, you know, my mom and my dad have always been my biggest fans and supporters. And I, and I do think, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, but I think, I think basketball kind of helped validate it, it. It defined me. It gave me confidence. Um, and really helped me grow into who I became. And, um, but yeah, no question. They were, they were achievers. And that was like, whoa, like this is, you know, yeah, I'm That's just trying to, I'm yeah. just, yeah, I'm just trying to like not have C's on my report card, you know? And, <laughs> oh, and, oh, and, Do not go anywhere. More stories with Grant Hill and how he is living in this space. When we come back, you can fast forward through the commercial break too. Okay. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment, connected with. 
AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Every champion. Champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion. They girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment can make it work. Welcome back. Grant Hill is on the podcast. He's naked. In your own right, and I'm sure they tell you this, you are so accomplished. And you talk about, I mean, look, part owner of a team, art collector that is that 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 people know of. I'll get into that. But but not only that, um, an author, right? You have a book, you have a memoir, game. And I think for me, that has to be one of the hardest things to do to sit down and write about yourself and, and be very honest and authentic and know that people will read it and, and judge you. And you do talk about confidence and how um, the game of basketball gave you that. I always thought, this is my observation, I am not a psychologist, but watching <laughs> you, watching you in college, watching you play, there was always this quiet, um, and I don't want to say brooding because that wasn't the, but contemplation. I always felt like you were consistently in thought and not just about the game, but just like heavy thought. And I always wondered what was going through your mind during that time. And I don't know if it was that you might have been frustrated with injuries, right? 
I don't know if you ever thought that people, you know, if you got the respect that you deserved. I don't I don't know, but I always thought you were always contemplating. Am I wrong? No. And you can be honest, because I, I could be wrong. No, no. <laughs> no, I'm I think I'm a thinker. I think I I, you know, I think personality wise I mean, look, I'm in media, so you know, right. we're, we're, we're paid to talk and have an opinion. And, um, but I, I think my nature is, is to be to myself and somewhat introverted. Um, and if I'm in a public setting, I'm more at ease and more comfortable observing and, and, um, you know, instead of being on, you know, like that, I can do it, but that's not something where, you know, like we talked about Charles, Charles likes to hold court. Like he, he gets energy from doing that. Yeah. That, that is draining to me. And <laughs> so I think that combined with being an only child, like you're accustomed to, to being lost in your thoughts. And, and sometimes that, that can, you know, that can be a hindrance, you know, like that can, can, you can get, you know, too caught up in, in overanalyzing things and, and looking at things from every standpoint. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm. I think by nature, that's who I am. I think at different stages of my career, um, you know, when I got hurt and I came back. I mean, you know, early on in my career, my my career was was kind of all over the map in terms of what I experienced. But you know, I, I, there, there was a there was an interesting. How do I put it? I was I was kind of uncomfortable with the limelight and the attention. I didn't run from it. I didn't do Tim Duncan and just keep quiet and play. I leveraged it. I monetized it. You know, I made money for off of it, but it was never something that that I was comfortable with. Okay. And and so part of that is I'm I'm private. Part of that is I just don't like the attention on me. Uh, and so what do I do? I write a book. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, I, I I I think you're pretty close to that. I think I think that's a good assessment. If you were no, to describe but wait, what you just said makes sense, right? You you maybe there was a discomfort. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't think he likes all this attention. However, however, for someone who doesn't like all the attention, it came to you in in a huge way. Um, the face of NCAA, you know what I mean? The face of you know, the NBA at one point, right? You come out and, and people, there's, there, there was no wrong that you could do in my opinion. And I felt like either he's uncomfortable with this or this is a lot of pressure. Maybe it is all of the above, but then Grant, you have an acting career. You popping up on TV shows, on my little favorite sitcoms and stuff. So I was like, he going to be an actor. Why you, why, why you, why you, why you acting if you uncomfortable? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Why are you an actor? I mean, you know, I, I think I think I realized. So it was interesting. I was with my handlers as I was. <laughs> no, I was with my people before the draft and the summer before my rookie year. And I remember, you know, one, they said you have a chance to be a brand. And I didn't understand what that meant. I knew what a brand was. I knew like, you know, I, I equated a brand to McDonald's or Nike or or whatever. I didn't think an individual was a brand, you know, it just shows you how much, you know, everyone now is very brand awareness, uh, you know, conscious of their brand. But back then that was something that, you know, I had to process. And then I remember like, you know, I remember like, I want, I I said to everybody, I said, I want to know and I want to feel what it's like to be Michael Jordan. 
And what I meant by that was, to me, he embodied excellence. He won. Um, he was the darling of Madison Avenue. He was the face of the league. And so to me, he was the standard and really kind of, you know, has been sort of the standard ever since. I mean, LeBron and others have been able to take that maybe and go to a whole nother level in some respects. But like Jordan was the gold standard. And and so um, so to me, that that meant I was I was, you know, I was on a a trajectory of of success. I was going to be go down as maybe one of the greatest. And so all that that encompassed was what I wanted, or at least I told myself I wanted but then as I got into it, I wasn't like, I, I didn't necessarily enjoy all of it. I didn't enjoy all the attention. I didn't enjoy, you know, going out and, and all eyes on me. Um, you know, I, I had a, a bucket list. You have to go on like living single. Like you have, you know, so <laughs> a funny story with that is that, so they, they, they asked me to come on. I said, I would do it. I flew out to LA and, you know, they, they'd have a, a table reading like on a Thursday. And then you'd rehearsed through the weekend and then you might have a live uh, studio, live recording. <laughs> so they send the script to the hotel and uh, I don't read it. Like, you know, I'm, like, I'm not going to read it. We got a whole week of rehearsal. So I show up at the reading. And as we're going through it, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I'm in a <laughs> lot of scenes. Like, I'm like, I'm sitting there like, and then I have to like. I got a kiss and I got a, they got me singing. Like I'm sitting there like, how am I going to pull this off? Like I had, and so then it hit me. I was like, it's, I don't think I can do this. Like, and I remember I called my agent and I was like, I need to back out of this. Like it's too much. And they were like, it's too late. They've already committed, you know, they're on a schedule. And so everybody was great. You know, Dana, Queen, uh, Queen Latifah, she was awesome. The whole set. I'm not a, like, I wasn't a PDA guy. Like at that point, like I, I I didn't hold hands. I never like, I didn't like to kiss in front of people. Like, you know, and now, you know, (laughs) so we go through the week, we rehearse and it's really funny. I had a a multiple sort of kissing scenes with with Queen Latifah. By the way, that was so rude of them to do that to you. Cause they were like, let's see him differently than he normally is. That's rude. I don't like it. No, but you know, I don't mind. I mean, in, in the long run being, Taken out of your comfort zone is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 sure. And so, but we never rehearsed the kiss. <laughs> there was one kiss where we were on the couch and it was like one of those things where like you just kind of stare, stare at each other and then you just go for it. And, but we never went for it in rehearsal. And <laughs> and so I didn't know like, is this a real kiss? Is this a fake kiss? Like, I didn't know. You didn't ask, oh wait, time this. out, time out, time out. I need a 15. You didn't ask those questions. You didn't say, do I have to, look at you and then go do a real kiss because I would think I would establish that first. Like, is it tongue? Is it not tongue? Like you didn't ask those questions. No, that, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't established. And, um, and maybe I just, you know, like I said, I didn't want to act like I didn't know what was happening. So I just kind of went with the flow. Uh, and so, and then the scene was, I won't say whether it was a real kiss or not. I'll, you know, out of respect, I won't say what that was or anything. Okay. That the scene was we kissed to dark, so it w- went to commercial, and they were going to cue us when, when when it was done. So so we never rehearsed that. We just rehearsed up until that. So then I can't believe I'm telling the story, but anyway. So then we actually live studio audience. We're in the midst, and then they don't cue us, and so 
it's like for a minute. <laughs> and so there would be, so anyway, that, so thankfully we only had to do it one time. But anyway, I say all that to say that, like, I was not a PDA guy. I was not someone like acting. And here I am, like in every scene. And, um, and every once in a while, like, they replay it because I, you know, you'll see on Twitter, people will talk about, oh, the, the Latifah scene and, you know, whatever, whatever. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that was my. You kissed her for a minute and they didn't cue you guys to stop? Yes. I think that might have been, I think she might have said, don't cue me. Look, I, 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 I don't know fine. what happened. Like I said, I was fine. a guest. I was, was a guest. She was like, he's fine. And I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> Well, you don't want to hear know, that. You don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, look, it was, it was, it was a fun experience, um, and um, you know, it was like I said, it was one of those bucket. Lists. I will say this: I was never asked to come back and act. Okay. So, <laughs> so clearly, it was a one and done uh, opportunity. Don't mind me. I am silly. I am having too much fun with this story. I totally understand that. I have. You know, the nature of the business, people ask you to act and you're like, I'm not an actor. And so when they ask us to do these things that take us out of our comfort zone, I don't like it. I know I agree with you. It makes me I was like, I can be myself, but that's not because like it's not the same. It's two different things. But I'm also looking. You were on an episode of Home Improvement. You did a lot of little things. And so all of these things, not necessarily your favorite, but you did them because you thought that was what was required of you at the time. Could we get you in a Tyler Perry movie at this moment as an actor? If Tyler Perry came to you and said, Grant, my man, listen, at this yeah, role, yeah. good for you. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I've, I've grown uh, since then. And as long as it, just in, in general, like I, okay. I, I'm more comfortable, you know, I was young, I was 22 uh, <laughs> on Living Single. But uh, okay. Look, I was in, I was actually in a small part in a Will Packer movie. Which one? The movie um, with Taraji Henson, uh, What What Women Want, No, What Men oh. Want. Ooh, okay, okay. And okay. there was a, a poker scene with Shaq and me and yeah. a few other people. And we, we um, so that was, and I actually, you know, I'm not proud of this, but I actually cursed. So it was, it was kind of funny seeing me like, kind of like go off like I did. But that was fun to, to see the whole process. And Will's a good friend of mine. And Will kind of, you know, allowed me to be in a movie, although it was a real small part. And he hasn't asked me to come back. So Wait, clearly, <laughs> once again, a one and done. But you know what? I can check it off and say that that, that I did it. So I'm cool. Hollywood is on notice. Grant is ready. He is he is willing to, to put himself out there. Do you? OK, so you said you had to curse. Do you curse in general? Never. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 from time to time, I will. I, I try not to, but you know, sometimes you, you just, it comes out. Do you drink? Oh yeah. Okay. Now here's a funny thing. Here's a funny thing. Okay. I didn't drink until I met my wife. Oh lord. And okay. and so that sounds horrible when you say like you know I didn't, but no, seriously, like I, I didn't drink. I, like I went through college and my first couple of years, I didn't drink at all, and. <laughs> And then one day she said, we have to change this. If we're going to survive, we're going to have to change this. And so, so now, yeah, I'll, you know, have the occasional cocktail. I love her for that because that's <laughs> real. I don't trust nobody who don't drink. Get around me as they use it. I used to be in a relationship with somebody for a very long time. And he never drank. And I'd be like, at least take a sip of wine. Don't have me out here by myself looking crazy. So I appreciate, I appreciate that she, um, she made you have a cocktail or two. Speaking of your wife, beautiful 
beautiful voice, beautiful soul, beautiful Tamia head to toe. How did you all meet? So, you know, Tamia was was from Windsor, Ontario, which is, uh, I like to say it's a suburb of Detroit. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> and uh, even though it's a, you know, foreign, it's Canada, but Correct. It, it actually kind of started Isaiah Thomas, my second year, was getting his jersey retired at the Palace. And Anita Baker sang the national anthem. And so afterwards, there was a reception at the Palace. And, you know, I went up there and all the old bad boys were there. And I got a chance to meet her and her, her then husband. And so, you know, she, she was, I don't know, somehow the conversation, she was like, oh, I'm sure you're breaking all the hearts or, you, you know, whatever. You got a girl, you know, and I was like, nah, you need to hook me up. Just kind of casually saying that jokingly saying that. And so I, I think a week later, Anita Baker was at, I don't know, Soul Train Awards, one of the award shows, and she met Tamia. And this is when Tamia first came out. I think she was on Quincy's album, uh, You Put a Move in My Heart. And um, Tamia said, I, I'm from the area. I grew up a big fan of yours. And so Anita was like, oh, I know just the person for you. Blah, blah, blah. This is who it is. And so Tamia swear she didn't know who I was at that time, but I'm like, yeah, right. Um, I'm joking when I say that. But I'm, um, so, yeah, I mean, I would be like, yeah, right, too. Like, oh, you don't know yeah, me. She's, so <laughs> fast forward, we met in Detroit maybe later that year. And um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, you know, pretty much been together ever since 96. We met in May of 96. And, you know, it was interesting. Like, I, I, I didn't, think that I was going to jump into a relationship, a serious relationship. You know, I just, I felt like to, to be an elite player, you know, it was a sacrifice and a dedication. I didn't know if I could manage having a relationship. So I, I think I was going to do the Derek Jeter thing. Like that was sort of what, you know, before Derek Jeter, I'm older than Derek, but like, I was just going to sort of casually date until I was older and then settle down. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you make plans and God laughs and, mm -hmm. but we instantly were smitten and, and kind of fell in love and got into a relationship. And, um, and, and that wasn't what I thought, but you know, you, 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 you instantly, when you meet somebody and you know, it's right, it's right. And it was interesting. Cause like, you know, we got young, we got married, got married in 99. She was 24. I was 25, 26. And, and I think there were people, even friends of mine were like, why are you getting married? Like, dude, like, what are you doing? You know, and and uh, <laughs> and um, it was when you know, you know. It's been an incredible journey, and twenty three years we just celebrated last week. Yay! Congratulations! And, um, yeah, no, thank you, thank you. And so, you know, we've I, I couldn't imagine, you know, going through the injuries and the struggles and the, the highs and the lows, uh, and then you know. Conversely with her, like, you know, what she's gone through. She's, you know, she has a book. She has a story. Sure. Uh, sure. And um, it's been fun. It's been a blast. Our kids are, you know, are older now, 20 and, and 15. What? Uh, so parenthood is has been great and watching them grow and and then sort of looking ahead, you know, like you, you empty nesters, you know, like now you kind of get your life back a little bit, you know, and you can do things. And uh, and so. But it's been it's been awesome, and so I, I always when I see Anita Baker, I thank her. And uh, what a great story! Yeah. What a great story. 
Anita Baker hooked us up. And then you guys just so happened, you had met her before. She had her own situation. Situation's over. Like, this is a story, first of all, like, again, I go back to the beginning of the podcast when I tell you you're a rare breed because I couldn't imagine being in the NBA, being 24 years old, having access to just about any, in terms of dating, anybody you could date. Like, because that's probably what it was for you. And your friends are like, dude, you're going to get married. What? You giving up all of this? You giving up this? You giving up this lifestyle? And it's almost like I always laugh because men act like um, when their homeboy gets married, it's like they put him in front of a fire range and the good times are over. Like, man, yeah, I guess you, it's a funeral. It's a funeral for the, <laughs> the guy. Your friends act like it's a funeral when you get married. And the women are like, I'm so excited. It's so exciting. But I was so beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And what's even better you know, and nothing's perfect, but it's always a beautiful story to see <clears throat> a couple in the limelight make it because it cannot be easy doing it in the, in without having fame. You know what I mean? So imagine doing it with fame. I, I, I couldn't imagine how difficult it was for you all at that time. Um, and then I know in your book, you talk about the injuries and all you went through. You played 19 years? Yep. 19 years. Was there a time that you wanted to and share this with them when you really thought, I want to retire before the 19 years, or you kept going back because you felt like I still have more to give the game? Yeah, you know, there was only a real small window where I thought about retiring. And that was, you know, after my, you know, I had a staph infection and, you know, was septic and the whole ordeal. That was that was tough. Um for like two or three months, I was like, you know what? I almost died because of my, you know, desire to play and, you know, maybe some incompetent medical advice uh, in there as well. And it's not, you know, it's not worth it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty relentless about wanting to get back and play. And I think, you know, I think, I think one, I love, I love the game. You know, I love playing and, and I knew that once you walk away from it, like it's over mm -hmm. and something you commit your whole life to and something you are passionate about. And, um, and just, to, you know, I, I think for anyone just in general to retire, it's not an easy transition. And so like, I wanted to exhaust everything before I walked away. And, uh, so in the midst of all of that, you know, I kept saying like, okay, I'm going to make up for it on the back end. I'm going to play till I'm 40. And I, I promise you the day I turned 40, my last year with the Clippers, I hurt my knee. And now it was, it was the, th the third knee injury in a year, but it was like, like it was the third knee injury on the same knee, but I heard it and I was out for like three or four months. And it was like, man, like, I used to always say when I'm, I'm, I'm going to make up for it and play till I'm 40. And the day I turn 40, I get hurt. Yeah. And so I should have yeah. said, I should have said 50. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I just, I forgot the question. Forgive me. I'm going on no, a tangent, I just, but um, it's just like, sometimes it's hard to walk away from something you love. And, and I said, did you ever feel, you said when you had staph infection, you thought for oh, a yeah. brief period of time, and then you kept playing because you felt like you had something to give the game or you just loved it. You couldn't imagine your life without that routine, without the travel. Like that becomes a, that becomes addictive and it just becomes your lifestyle. You think, what am I going to do now? Like that's a real serious question for a lot of athletes who, who retire, who walk away from the game. Like what's next for me? You know what I mean? 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think, okay, a couple of things. Yes. No, no question. The desire to keep playing. And I think as I did transition into retirement um, and really the process of writing this book and even just kind of living with the book and then, you know, kind of building up to the release of the, of the book, you know, I think this, you know, I, I think I realized that in sort of time to unpack some things, I got a lot on my plate and a lot that I'm doing. And I think a lot of that has to do with maybe things not ending or going the way I would have liked to, them to have gone during my career. Yeah. And so this like incredible drive to like succeed and, and to, to accomplish something. And, you know, Tamia sometimes would joke like early in retirement. She's like, man, I thought retirement was like, you know, a rocking chair and lemonade. And, and I was going and hustling. Like she said, you're, you're hustling like you're broke. Like, you know, and, and I would just, you know, got to stay hungry and, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot or whatever cliche you use. Like I, I just, and now that I kind of take the time to survey everything and I, and I like where I'm at and I like what I'm doing, but yeah. I feel like, I feel like I didn't deal with sort of what happened or what didn't happen. Mm. And I think what as a result, what yeah. And so there's like this, like I didn't, I didn't win championships. I didn't stay on this trajectory of where I was going with my career. And really the process of writing the book really kind of helped me realize that. Um, and so I think this drive, like, and so the drive, you know, look, drive can be good. It, you know, we, we reward ambition, we reward achievement. Um, but I haven't, I, I'm learning to, to the work-life balance part. And that's something I don't think I've done a good job of. And so I'm trying to sort of correct that and be more intentional about, you know, it's okay to work hard, but it's also, you know, you got to have balance in your life. Um, and, and so, um, so anyway, the book, I think, helped me with, you know, coming to that realization of that. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment connected with AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I, I, I can't even understand what it would mean, right, to win on the collegiate level, and we'll talk about college and broad strokes in a minute for me, the college game and your contribution, um, but not to win on a professional level seems to be painful for so many players. But then I look at players like Kobe, and he still regrets not be, getting one over Jordan. You know what I mean? Like, may he rest in peace. That was his, like, God, I hate I had to retire before I, could, I couldn't even get the number the same or one over Jordan. So do you think most players feel that way? Or is it a special type of player, like a, a Grant Hill or a, I think of great players like Vince Carter who didn't win, or even Chuck for that matter. He didn't win a chip. And, but they contribute to the game in such a way, and they're still Hall of Famers as you are and still considered the best at what they did during that time. Do you ever make peace with the fact that you didn't get a championship on the, in the NBA? Yeah, you know, I can't speak for those. I mean, I know Vince and, and Chuck very well. I, I don't, I haven't had a sort of a, a deep, naked conversation with them on this subject matter, but I, I can speak for myself. I mean, I thought I, ha- I, I thought I was good. Like I thought that I was at peace with my career and what happened and what unfolded. And I think I realized that maybe I'm not totally at peace. And there's that void. And, okay, what do you replace that void with? And, you know, some people can have a void in something and, you know, it can be something toxic or something dangerous, it can be drugs out, whatever. I mean, but I just think, like, I think, I, like I said, in recent years, I realized, like, it's it's this, like, incredible desire to prove myself to myself, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. And, and so learning to kind of manage that Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, understanding that, because I think what happens, I mean, I can't speak for those guys, but I think, I think sometimes we naturally focus on what we, we didn't do, you know, or what we don't have. And, and as opposed to really sort of having a a feeling of gratitude and appreciation for what you do have. And, 
you know, when I was in Detroit and, you know, I was doing all these things and I had a lot of individual success and um, on and off the court, I didn't give myself permission to enjoy it because we weren't winning. We weren't like we didn't win. And I blamed myself for us not winning. So I didn't really like appreciate the good and appreciate what was happening. Um, and, you know, to me, like, it, like at Duke, whether you love or hate Duke, whatever, I mean, that, that's one thing, but like, it was all about winning. And that was what we were conditioned to believe. Like, I didn't care about individual stats. You know, I didn't care. Like, it was just whatever we have to do to win. And then I go into the NBA and all this other stuff, which is great, but I didn't care. But like, to me, the most important thing was winning and we weren't winning. And so I couldn't enjoy all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so the the writing of the book forces you to go back and live in certain moments and live, you know, and confront things good and bad about your past. I didn't appreciate how good I was. I mean, that sounds real arrogant, but like I didn't appreciate how good I was when I was in Detroit because we weren't winning. And now I go back at it and I look at it and even watching old tapes, I would watch games to kind of conjure up, you know, memories and things, whatever. And I'm like, damn, I was actually all right. Like I was, you know, I'm looking at it like, uh, I was, you know, you and, more than I. <laughs> no, but I'm saying I, I didn't see that or I didn't look at it that way at the time because I'm chasing Isaiah. You know, Isaiah was the gold standard. I'm chasing. I looked at Isaiah's banner before every game like that to me was what I was pursuing and anything less was, was, you know, was, 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 uh, you know, a failure. And so, and so anyway, to go back with, you know, look at it through a different lens with, a, with, you know, greater appreciation. Um, you know, it, it was, it was surprising. I didn't expect it, but it was almost one of those things was like, whoa, like, yeah. Okay. And, and I, I, in a way I kind of needed that. Like I needed to see that and realize that because, you know, I, I looked at, you know, those years as, you know, as, as almost a failure, as a total failure. Mm. So anyway, I don't know if I'm making sense, but. No, um, you're making complete sense. Everything you're saying is, in, in, to me, let me mirror this back for a second, because this is a message. No matter when we're in the midst of whatever it is we're trying to achieve, we're doing such great things, but we're such a society of more, 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 more. And we don't know how to appreciate the moment as opposed to thinking about more and more and more. And I think that goes across every field, whether you're an NBA player, you're a journalist, you're a, you you know, you're a corporate work, whatever it is, you're a producer, whatever it may be. Um, and then you look back on it because on the outside looking in, like I, 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 you know, I would be hard pressed to tell you that you didn't help me love college basketball. It would be a lie. When I, when I, when I think about why I fell in love with college basketball, even before I got to college, it was because of players like you and Christian Leitner and, and you can go, go fab five, like you can go down a list, right. Of like why I fell in love with this amateur, you know, in air quotes game. And and it was because of you, like you were, you're a part of what I call Americana, right? That's pop culture. If we did a book mm-hmm. on what the NCAA was, and what it is today, or how glorious and pure it seemed back then before we all knew what it was, you would be in that book. And so my, and so my question for you now, like you look at the college game, Coach K just retired. I know that you have an affinity for him. 
I'm watching him, Roy Williams, Jay Wright, all of these OGs, these coaches, right? For folks who are listening, Jay Wright had co- was head coach at Villanova, Roy Williams, UNC, uh, Coach K, Duke. You're watching these coaches retire within a matter of a year or two of one another, whatever. It's because they the game has changed, all pun intended, because that's the name of your book. So you look at the game now with NIL, right? What do you think about the college? These deals are getting crazy. And I'm not mad, but I'm like, what does that mean? These kids have agents now before they even get to to play their very first game. How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I mean, the the the, the state of Intercollegiate athletics and, and and really basketball, I think, and college football in general, is changing, and it's changing so quickly and rapidly that it's it's kind of hard to to process. I think the game has really changed and evolved even prior to NIL. Uh, you talked about that mm-hmm. sort of golden era in the '90s, early '90s, and you know UNLV, Vegas, us, oh, yeah, you know, UCLA, yes, all yes. these great teams. Um, you know, guys were there for more than one year. And so whether you loved or hated Duke or loved or hated Carolina or loved or hated the Fab Five, you watched them over multiple years and you saw, you know, you saw that story unfold. And now in an era where, you know, these great guys, you know, leaving early, one and done, you just don't have the same emotional attachment or connection with, with, with these teams because these players aren't there long enough. And now you throw in NIL, you throw in the transfer portal. Um, you know, I'm hearing that things, you know, in California, they may try to enact a law with, you know, making it legal for pay for play at, at California universities, um, which would even change it even more so. And so it's, it's, it's kind of going bonkers. It's like the wild, wild west right now. And I think everybody is trying to figure out how to play in that sandbox. But you're seeing, you know, Roy Williams, Coach K, Jay Wright, in the span of one year, all these legends, these icons who've really contributed to the game um, and have been hugely successful. I think part of it was age. I think Coach K is, is time. But, you know, Jay Wright was still young. Jay Wright still had a lot of runway. Yeah, well, he well, is he young? He's 60. Is that young? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's got another at least five years, you okay. know, and and and, and so it, it's it's scary, you know, and 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 I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what five years from now looks like, um, but I think I think you potentially you see it, you know, UCLA, USC. I know you're in California, going into the Big Ten now. Yeah, you know, some of that tradition that um, has been a part of college sports with the realignment and, and such. It's changing. And, you know, it's it's, you know, I'm all for players having an opportunity to to profit, um, you know, and I, I remember I, I remember I, I wanted to buy my jersey from the Duke bookstore and I wanted to give it to my dad for fathers. I don't know, give it to him for Christmas or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I went into the bookstore and it was like one hundred and twenty dollars for me to buy my jersey. And, you know, I couldn't go to the athletic department to have them give me a jersey because that's a violation. And so I wasn't thinking like, okay, I want a piece of the money that they're making off my, I just wanted to be able to get my own jersey for free. Like that was what I was thinking in 1992. 
And um, wait a second. In 1992, your jersey was a hundred and how much dollars to go buy for your dad? It was a hundred and something dollars. And I remember I bought it for my dad. And um, and it just it dawned on me like, wow, I, like, like I wasn't even thinking like, man, like they're making this. I was just like, I got to pay for my own jersey. Like I didn't that, that didn't sit right with me. And now you fast forward to some of these NIL deals where guys are making, you know, they're making more money than the professionals make in some cases. And mm-hmm. and so it's rightfully you know, so though. I no no I, no, no I, I, so, so it's, but it's an interesting dynamic. No, no, I'm not saying it's it's wrong. I'm just saying it's an interesting dynamic. And I think people don't know how to take it and really how to navigate it. And so it's changing the landscape. It's changing as a coach how you recruit, how you prepare, how you, you know, wh- wh- when I came up, um, you know, Coach K signed Christian Leitner uh, one year. Then he signed Bobby Hurley the next year. Then he signed me. And he felt like he had his, his big, his point guard, and then his wing player. And, he, you know, he filled in around that. And, you know, it gave us a chance to be successful. Well, obviously, you know, one and done, you can't prepare that way. At least he hasn't in the last decade. Um, so you, you have to adapt and adjust with the times, which he did a great job of. But I think moving forward in football and basketball and really in all sports, you know, these collectives, you know, our alumni, are they going to get involved and contribute? Are you going to allocate money for athletes? Like it's, it's, it requires you to adapt and adjust if you want to be successful. And, uh, and so it's a little bit scattered. It's a little bit of the wild, wild west. But I do think in time, I'm hopeful that it'll kind of, you know, it'll get to a point where everyone can operate in this new model that's been created. I think it's very, I think what you said was probably the the most simple but most articulate thing. It's hard to respond because you don't know what it is. But you are correct in terms of it's getting more complicated. And that's why I think I'm seeing, like, I, that's why I think Jay Wright left. I'm a guest. I just feel like he was like, I don't want to deal with that. This this is not the game that I know. And if I have to start being um, someone who is an expert on NIL deals, that part I can't give my brain to, right? I just want to focus mm-hmm. on the X's and O's and get a chip. That part gets so complicated because it's so new and there are no strict rules yet. There's the loopholes and kids can do this and kids could do that. And you talk about UCLA. I went to UCLA, UCLA and USC, right? They go to the Big Ten. They want more money. But when I hear you tell me in 1992, your jersey cost $120 and you just wanted it for free, I get infuriated. I get so angry. And shout out to my man, Ed O'Bannon, who I know could have used that money and still could to this day use that money, right? Like as he as he put him himself and, you know, quote unquote, on the line to have, have this happen as it is. I think it's really interesting how it will affect the player themselves. I think you're right. I'm not invested in teams anymore. I don't know these kids' names. Like you do because you probably cover the tournaments, but you have to learn them before. I remember watching, you know, Chuck and and, and Kenny talk about these kids. And it's, it's a new one, a new star every year. You don't know these. Who are you? Okay, who is this? You know how, okay, y'all behind the scenes, you get research packets and you're like, so what's his name? And what do you, you know, because it's so, it it just, the turnover is quick. You don't know who they, it's so fast, the one and done. Um, and that's what I, I will miss, right? I will say, I will miss that because I am not invested like I used to be. Like I could watch you, I literally, March Madness was my thing. 
Like I, that was where I wanted to be. Watching you win two chips, great. W- watching UCLA, even when I was there, like this is, I was invested. And now I find like all things, one thing is constant, all things change. So you look at the league, NBA, all these players want to do is get to the league, get to the league, get to the league. And LeBron has changed the game. You mentioned him. Has he changed the game for the better? Amon Shumpert is quoted as saying, LeBron f***ed it up for everybody when he went to Miami. <laughs> so um, you, what do you think about this new NBA? And we're going to give to the old man LeBron. Has he, has, he, has he made it for the better or for the worse? Well, you know, look, I, I also I wear many hats. And, and one of them is you know, co-owner, vice chairman of, of the Atlanta Hawks. You can't get too particular. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like, don't get me in trouble. No, Gary. no, no, okay. no. But I mean, I, I, I think, look, I mean, as you said, all things, I, I, you said it better than I'm going to say it, but you know, all things change and things grow and evolve. And as it relates to the NCAA, it's going through growth and and change. And sometimes that can be painful, but also sometimes that's necessary. And LeBron, you know, look, LeBron, his accomplishments on the court speak for themselves. Uh, I think he came around in this sort of digital social media age, which um, I think has has been good and bad in some respects. Good in the sense that it only amplifies and, um, you know, creates this connection and relationship with fans, gives him a voice. He doesn't need to go through you know, a journalist to speak to an audience or to the world. Um, I also think there's some some tough parts where you hear all the noise and you hear the backlash, you hear the hate, or you see the hate, or you read the hate. Um, you know, when I played, you know, really it was only, you know, the print media and, and you know, sports talk radio. And, you know, there was a gauntlet of, editors that, you know, had to, 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 you know, to read through things before they were printed. And, you know, I didn't necessarily listen to talk radio or sports talk radio in the nineties. Now, you know, someone can say LeBron, you know, and say something bad about his mom or, or his, his wife or his kids. And these players today see that. And, and so that that's hard and we didn't have to endure that, but, you know, I, I do think he stood on the shoulders of Michael Jordan and he, he took it to another level in terms of ownership, in terms of control, um, you know, in terms of really leveraging this platform you have in the NBA. The NBA is a global media and public relations firm. That's what they do well. They promote and market players all over the world. Uh, I remember when I did Inside Stuff and uh, with, with Kristen Ledlow, we did it for a few years and you know, we would, <laughs> we would tape it. First of all, she's a pro. I was learning at the time, but you know, it was a half hour. You were still great. Well, I appreciate it. It was, it was a half hour show. It would take us like an hour and a half to tape, like literally. And most of the time, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, it was okay. That's okay. We got there. We got to the first <laughs> line, but they would do an international ending to the show every week. And, and we would always kind of roll our eyes like, oh, why do we have to do this? And blah, blah, blah. It was like a generic ending. And then I went to South Africa with my wife and we were there in like 2016 and it was October. So before the basketball season and they're playing inside stuff in the hotel room. 
And like, I'm going around, you know, Johannesburg and people are calling me Mr. Inside Stuff. And so like, to me, it's just like, and so when we came back, we're like, hey, we got to get these international goodbyes right. And you like, let me get this right. Let me get my makeup done. But like, it just speaks to how global the game is. And, and, and LeBron, um, so, you know, I, I think the game's in a good place. I, I think LeBron is sort of a one-of-a-kind athlete in a lot of ways. I don't know if we'll have another kind of LeBron who who just understands his power and his value. And I think strategically made moves that um, really elevated his profile uh, and his bottom line uh, along the way. So, I don't think it's a problem. I mean, look, I, I tried to leave and, and go to Orlando and Tim Duncan was going to go and Tracy McGrady. And, you know, obviously Duncan didn't go and, and, and I, you know, I was hurt, but, um, so leaving and going to Miami, um, he has that right. You know, he gets criticized, I think for it, but he has that right to do that as every player. And look, when my dad played, just understand this. So my dad played for the Cowboys and, he left to go to the World Football League, and which was a new upstart league in 75, I think around 74, 75. He got sued by the Cowboys. And, and he ended up countersuing and went and he won. But that was a period where athletes didn't have the right. To, they, they didn't have free agency. You weren't allowed to go elsewhere when your contract expired. That team owned your rights. They could trade you, but you didn't have that opportunity. So, you know, yeah, I mean, we're standing on the shoulders of, of, of giants who paved the way and, and, and made those sacrifices. So he had every right to go to Miami. He may not like how he went about it, but, you know, he had every right to do that. And he had every right to go back to Cleveland and go to L.A. And um, but, you know, he, he's been an incredible player, an incredible ambassador. He's delivered on the expectations, maybe even exceeded them, <laughs> which is very <laughs> rare. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly with someone who came in with as much fanfare as he did. And, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to be missed when he's gone, when he's retires and walks away. Um, the NBA television rights, everything is going to take a hit. You're going to see dips. Say what you want. He's the most loved to be hated and the most hated to be loved. But I'm telling you at this moment, he, and I'm not saying that just because he plays for the Lakers, but I will tell you, I'm the typical fan. I couldn't stand him until he became a Laker. I was like, oh, guys, I think you guys are too hard on LeBron. I think everyone's too hard on LeBron. And like, but just last week you hated him. I said, that's not the point. That's not the point. (laughs) But you are correct. He has taught, what he has taught every player is that they have leverage and that they can, if, if in fact they can produce on the court and they are a Grant Hill, if you will, he has leverage. And he was fearless. He was fearless. He moved fearlessly. He has moved fearlessly in this league and and taken all the hits. And while, I think time will tell his story in the way in which you all, you and I see him. Um, I, I often wonder how much has that affected his psyche? Cause I'm sure it has his family as well. He acts like it's not a big deal, but you got, you got to, but like you said, he can hear it. He can see it. He could read it. Now they're going after your kids. They're not just going after you. They're going after your wife. They're going after your kids. I'm like, hands off. Like to me, there's just, you draw the line some places. You don't talk about people's families. Right. You know what I mean? No, no, I, that's just, that's often. I mean. No, I, I agree, but I, I think what happens is is that I, you know, and, and I don't know if this applies to LeBron, but I think I think a lot of guys they hear the noise, they see the noise, and they they put everybody in the same bucket, and right. you know, and so and you become cynical, 
And, and, you know, like there's credible journalists out there who I think have integrity uh, and I think want to get to a deeper meaning and really want to be objective. But I think there's a lack of trust with some of the athletes today, with some members of the media. And I think some of it stems from just the noise and, and all that. And so you, you become defensive. You're not as old. like, there was a relationship. Like I'll give you an example. So I, I cover, I do games for TNT and mm-hmm. back in the day when, you know, when, when, when they would come and broadcast a game, you'd sit down for an interview and they would play that interview clip during the game. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen anymore. And, and it's almost like one in part because whatever needs to be said, they can just say it, you know, on their own platforms. They don't need to, to talk with, but it's just, a, it's an interesting dynamic. And um, I think there's just a lot of noise and a lot of criticism uh, and, and I think it's, it's sensationalized a bit. And I think it plays on the mental psyche of athletes and um, no question. And, and, and that's something I, I, I'm not a fan of. Mm, I'm with you. I'm in agreement. I, 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 but you know, I'm also guilty, but I'm in agreement. I mean, I'm also guilty of talking on the side of my neck every now and again. So I try, I try, I learn from my mistakes. I gotta be honest, like, cause I've never played the game. So I can't, I can't say certain things. There are certain things I can't say. I said, I remember, and I don't know if you remember, when I was on Sports Center, I said, I just wouldn't start my team with Kevin Durant. He doesn't have enough heart. And this is when he was with Oklahoma. And it was like, it was think pieces and she crazy. And that's why women shouldn't be on TV and send her back to the kitchen. I mean, I got roasted. There was at one point in which my producer thought, which I'm glad that we decided not to, he was like, oh, I think maybe you should apologize. And the bosses were like, no, we pay her to have an opinion. If that's her opinion, she's doing a top five list and she add, she's not going to add KD. That's, that's just her choice. Um, but it was really heavy. But it got even worse. That was the year that they were up 3-1 in the conference finals against Golden State. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened after that, right? right. They lost. Right. And then he went to Golden State. And then there was all this conversation about, well, Maybe she wasn't wrong, right? And it, but at the same time, it was more of a personal attack as opposed to statistically or professionally or on the court why I wouldn't choose him, right? That taught me that if I do have a criticism, I have to keep it on the court. It ain't about you not this you not this goon, if you will. Right. Like, talk about what it looks like. So, so having said that, you're right. I don't blame them for being the new media. The new media now, Grant, ain't you and me, well, kind of, because I, I say what I want on my podcast, but the new media is the I Am Athlete podcast and the pivots of the world and the uninterrupted of the world. These are, they're like, okay, we're going to flip, you know, and, they, and they're missing some very tangible parts. Very few athletes, you're one of the few, I think, and I'm going to tell you this, that could play the game and then be an impartial journalist. That's a hard thing to learn. Like, it really is a difficult spot to put you in as a player, as a former player to talk about other players, good or bad, right? It's just a tough spot. And now we're watching these guys take ownership, as you said, back. And it is, the game is changing and I, and for the better, in my opinion. Well, so, well, well first of all, I just want your to, to, to your point, what you said, and I appreciate you, you being forthcoming and, and sharing your experience and what you said about Duran and, you know, yeah. look, there were hit jobs back in the day. I mean, Peter Vesey, you know, he was, yes. he, he went yes. at everybody and it was personal. I think the difference is, is, is technology now and particularly social media. So if you say something on air, it's going to be amplified. 
and it's going to be all over the place. And then people are going to chime in and, and, and either side with you uh, and just give it more oxygen. And so to me, you know, I, I look at, you know, Charles and those guys. I mean, Charles and those guys for 20 plus years have been you know, <laughs> taking shots at people and being funny and humorous and so on and so forth. Um, but then we're like, like the JaVale McGee situation, you know, oh, yeah. that became something because oh, wow. not so, was it was bad and it was unfortunate, but I think part of it was there's more oxygen around it. And so now you hear it, you see it, you read it, you, you yeah. see the tweets. And so that's, what's changed the game. I think in some respects, it's just all the noise, you know, that surrounds and, uh, and all the opinions that, um, you know, that at times are, are hard to run from. Grant Hill, you've given me more than enough time. Um, I'm going to um, ask Jamel for your information because I do want to check on you family-wise, make sure everything is all good. Okay. Um, but I thank you for joining us. Everybody listening, go out and get this book. If you want this deep intellectual thought from this this authentic human being, it's game. You can get it anywhere, right? I can go on Amazon. I can do it on my... You did an audio book, yep. no? Yep. Right? I love audiobook because, you know, we just in a car and we got to drive and do our thing real quick. I like it. Um, and anything else you're working on you want to let people know about? Yeah, no, I mean, I, <laughs> no, not right now. I, I'm um, it's, it's wherever books are sold. Like you said, it's an audio mm -hmm. version. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. There, 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 there may be an opportunity to come back on naked again here in the near future. Yeah. And tell us something good, something juicy. I'll just leave it. At OK. There. All right. All right. So give all the love to the family, your mom included, your wife, your dad. They did a good job. They did a good job with you, kiddo. All right. I'm proud of you. I young appreciate man. it. I'm Thank proud you. of you, young buck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I had, this is honestly the first time on my podcast that I had the opportunity to sit and talk with Grant. And I, and I thought it was special. He is just a great guy. And I keep saying that because it's so rare. And the story of how he met his wife, I would like Anita Baker to hook Mia, if you listen to any sweet love, don't you ever go away. It'll always be this way. Okay, I'm not a singer, but you get it. Um, and then the fact that I watch him be the father, the husband, the friend that he is said to be to everyone really made this podcast special for me. So Grant, I thank you for coming on. I also thank you guys for letting me talk about Deshaun Watson. There's so much more to that story. And I'm still unpacking how I feel and processing my thoughts because there are a lot of lives affected and so much trauma. We cover this stuff like it doesn't matter, but there are real individuals involved in this case that are suffering. And I'm not even talking about just the women. What about Deshaun's family members, his, his, his mother, his father, his family, his friends, those who care about him, who see him as one way and feel as if he is being attacked and, and treated poorly? Coming to the realization that the person you know and have known for so long isn't who you think they are is really traumatic, if in fact that has happened for his family and friends. Life is not easy. That's why it's important for us to be good to each other. I am imploring every single day kindness and trying to be more and more kind. The reputation that I have isn't necessarily kind. It's straight up and to the point, although there's nothing wrong with being straight up and to the point. There's nothing wrong with that is the word I'm trying to get out. But kindness prevails, just like talent trumps all. Thank y'all for listening to Naked. I'll see y'all next week. At Bed 
365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare hey girlfriends it's me carol fisher back with another season of the global number one podcast the girlfriends last time we investigated the murder of gail katz This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.